From the Financial Times in London, I'm Daniel Dombey and this is FD News. Iraq's parliamentary election threw up a surprise result. The political alliance led by Muqtada al-Sada, a populist cleric once seen as the face of Shia resistance against the US, is expected to emerge as the bloc with the most seats. Analysts and Iraqis had expected the alliance led by Prime Minister Haidar al-Abadi to be the front-runner, but provisional results suggested he would come in third. Now, Mr Sada may have a chance to shake up the political system he blamed for many of his country's ills. It's also a potential opportunity for him to push back against the influence of both Washington and Tehran. Here with me to discuss this is our Middle East news editor, Andrew England, recently back from Baghdad. Andrew, first, tell me about the results. How well did Mr Sada do? And what does the makeup of the next Iraqi parliament look like? Well, we still haven't actually got the composition of the seats yet, but with the results from 18 provinces, we can tell that Muqtada al-Sada has done very well in Baghdad. He got the most number of seats in Baghdad, which is the constituency with the most seats. He's done well in southern Iraq as well, the Shia stronghold, and he's leading in six of the 18 provinces. So we expect him to get around about 55 seats out of 329, which is a surprise because nobody was touting him as a potential victor. But it also means that we're going to go back to the tradition of Iraqi politics where no one's got a clear majority. So, yes, he's done well and he's in pole position to lead the formation of the next government, even though he doesn't want to be prime minister. But there's a long way to go. All right. So it's complicated. But tell us a bit more. Why was this guy so popular to Iraqi voters? What was his appeal based on? Well, Iraqis have gone through several elections now since the US invasion toppled Saddam Hussein in 2003. Now, initially they were told that this is a great moment. The West is bringing you democracy and freedom. You're going to have elections. You're going to have better services. You're going to have better jobs. There's going to be investment, etc. And yet, at the end of the day, many Iraqis feel that their lives actually haven't improved. And what the electoral system in Iraq has thrown up is this kind of power sharing. So no party can dominate. So rivals often end up in government. There are patronage networks at play. Corruption is rampant. And there's a common complaint is even if you get a leader who wants to make change, who wants to bring change, he can't because of all the political rivalries in the system. So we saw a turnout of 44% in this election, the lowest in any of the elections since 2003. All the others have been above 60%. So one, there was clear apathy. That helped Muqtada al-Sada because he has a strong base, particularly in Baghdad, where there are three million people in Sada City, a big sort of slum township named after his late father. But he's also, over the last two years, kind of rebranded himself as a nationalist. He's riled against both the influence of the US and Iran, which again is a common complaint among Iraqis. And he's led protests against corruption and government inefficiency. So he was speaking to the concerns of many Iraqis. And before the election, he told his MPs, he had 34 MPs in the last parliament, he told them all to step down, we're going to bring in new faces. He formed an alliance with secularists, Shia Islamists and communists. So on the one hand, the low turnout benefited him because of his strong base. On the other hand, he was the only candidate who really stood for change. OK, so this is a bit where we wheel out your crystal ball. Tell us about what you think the next government's going to look like. We've had incidents in the past, in 2010 and 2014, when the leader of the political alliance got the most seats in parliament after the election results were declared, but then the other parties formed against them and they didn't make it to become prime minister. So there is that possibility. A more likely possibility is that Muqtada al-Sada 
reaches out to Prime Minister Abadi's list, and they have worked together in the past, and they try and form a coalition government with the other parties. And then you'll have a governing coalition in which Muqtada al-Sadr's political alliance will have a key role, but in partnership with Abadi's bloc and other alliances. Now, some people even suggest that even though Abadi or his alliance hasn't done well elections, he could still be prime minister because he was generally well-liked and seen as somebody who wanted to bring about change, but was hobbled by this kind of fragmented political system that has dominated. So I think, you know, this is a process which is going to take months. There is, at the moment, no clear indication of which way it's going to go. What we're going to see is lots of horse trading, lots of coalition building, and ultimately we can expect, I think, Muqtada al-Sadr's alliance to be in a coalition with other parties. In recent years, we've seen Iraq in a particularly interesting situation in which it has important ties to both the US and to Iran. Mr. Sadr railed against both those relationships. How do you think that's going to play out in terms of Iraq's freedom of manoeuvre and in terms of its relationships with Washington and Tehran? Well, Iraq is this interesting place. I mean, since 2003, obviously the US has had a big influence because it's had troops there and it's been heavily involved in the economy and the politics. Iran is Iraq's neighbour and after Saddam Hussein was toppled, the Shia parties came to dominate the politics. Iran has had a close relationship with the Shia political leaders, so it's always had influence. Now, both those countries are going to continue to have influence. The question is the degree of influence. Mr. al-Sadr has previously stated that he wants U.S. troops to leave Iraq. U.S. troops came back to help with the fight against ISIS when the jihadi group took over about a third of the country in 2014. So that's one key policy difference between him and Mr. Abadi. What we're not entirely sure about is whether he would allow U.S. military advisors and trainers to stay. There's been a little bit of ambiguity around that. But that's one key area where things could change. In terms of Iran, he's always had an ambiguous relationship with Iran. His militia, the Mahdi Army, in the early 2000s reportedly received weapons and support from Iran when they were fighting the US and British troops. But at the same time, he's modelled himself very much as a nationalist who wants to stand up against all foreign interference. So he'll clearly want to reduce the influence of Iran. I think there's a bigger question of whether he can. Tehran has strong ties to all Shia politicians. You know, diplomats tell me that Iran funds all the parties to varying degrees. And Iran is always going to want to have a foot in Iraq. It's its neighbour. It's the bridge between it and Syria. So it doesn't want an unstable Iraq, but it does want influence there. So that'll be a key test if his alliance becomes at the core of the next government, just how much it can push back against Iranian influence. And the other thing he's done, last year he made a surprise trip to Riyadh and Abu Dhabi to meet the crown princes of both countries, which was a big change. I mean, Saudi Arabia and the UAE, they've tried to have influence in Iraq since 2003, but they've never really made any ground. Now Saudi Arabia, as part of its plan to sort of counter Iran's influence, has been reaching out to Iraqis, particularly the Shia community, and for Muqtada al-Sadr to turn up in Riyadh and Abu Dhabi and meet the crown princes of both countries was a big sign that relations with Iran's rivals in the region could be improved. So there we have it. Thank you very much indeed, Andrew. And for more on this story, don't forget to go to FT.com.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.